Blog Talk Radio. Listening to LGBTQ America on Gay News Radio. I'm your host, Brandon Carmody. We want to welcome our listeners in the United States and around the world. We hope everyone had a good holiday weekend. On November 27th, Basic Rights Oregon posted a story with the headline Despite his 15 year legal status, ICE detains Portland nurse Luis Garcia. If he is deported to his native Venezuela, it will be a death sentence for him as openly gay man. Aside from having laws on the books criminalizing gay relationships, Venezuela will not provide him with the life-saving medications he needs to live with HIV. He has been against the oppressive government of Venezuela and opposition is not tolerated. His deportation will add insult to injury after being a battered and abused spouse at the hands of his late U.S. citizen husband, quoting his current boyfriend, Sean Sexton. According to KGW News, um, before dating Sexton, Garcia was married. That marriage deteriorated when Sexton said that Garcia's then-husband became addicted to drugs. Garcia checked himself into rehab in January, then tried to get rid of the drugs at the home he and his husband shared. Sexton said the drugs never made it out of the house. Garcia's husband got physical. Garcia called the police to help get rid of the drugs, but both Garcia and his then-husband were charged for meth possession. The resulting conviction sent immigration and customs agents to his door. The agency said they put Garcia in removal proceedings based on his felony conviction. If you are convicted of a felony, for example, you are priority one, said Nicholas Costa, an immigration attorney with Nelson Smith LLP. The GoFundMe page set up by Sean Sexton reads, the love of my life is fighting for his life at the moment. He was taken from our home by ICE without notice. Luis Garcia Campos is an educated, kind, and wonderful person. He is a registered nurse that cares for the elderly. He paid for his education here in the USA, attained a green card for residency, and has made his life here for 15 years. He pays taxes, abides by the law, and has the kindest soul of anyone I've ever met. His former husband has some issues with substance abuse, and Louise was caught up in the drama. His former husband died last month. The legal complications have caused an immigration issue. The only unresolved part of this is his immigration. Now, in an update for our listeners, Garcia's bond hearing was held on December 20th, and he was granted release, but he does still face the deportation threat. Here today on our show to discuss this story in their own words is Luis Garcia and Sean Sexton. So, gentlemen, um, both of you, we want to welcome you on the air. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Brandon, for having us. Nice to speak with you both. So uh, despite that situation that I've just laid out before the listeners, um, let me just start very simply. Were you both able to have a good holiday and Christmas weekend together, guys? We we were, yeah. Um, thanks to everyone out there, um, from my friends to complete strangers to our church, it was a good Christmas. We were able to uh, prove who he was to the immigration court and get him back out on bail for now. Very good. Luis, uh, did you have a good weekend? How does it feel to be home? Um, it was amazing, you know, uh, being detained for 34 days and having my life on hold and not knowing what's going to be next. This was the best Christmas gift that I could ever receive. It was to be able to spend it with my loved ones and especially to spend it with Sean yesterday being Christmas and his birthday. So we were actually able to have a nice family time. 
Oh, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that, guys. And Merry Christmas. Um, can you tell me a little about where did where did you two meet? And I'm assuming that you two met kind of after the issues that happened with your husband. Tell me a little bit about your guys' story. Um, so we actually met while uh, he was still with his husband and I was mine. And our relationships were uh, drifting apart, mine much more amicably than his. So we'd actually been friends probably six months before the incident had gone down um, and then I started dating a couple, three months afterwards, so last spring. Um, it was just something about him the first time I met him that I I knew that he was someone special that I wanted to be friends with or maybe more. Definitely. Luis, you feel the same way? I, I take it that's a given? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we met, you know, it's like every other gay man these days through social media, like Scruff or Grindr. Um, <laughs> we became kind of close to each other, you know, like we, and then um, once this all happening with my ex-husband, um, I kind of retracted from everything and he stayed in touch and said, hey, are you doing okay? You're doing okay. And until I finally opened up and said, hey, this is what I'm going through. I need help. I need to find an apartment. And he was there. So he helped me through this whole process, even though he didn't know much what's going on. Finally, I opened up to him around May, two months after all this incident of the with the police and the drugs and all this kind of stuff happened. I opened up to him, and he's like, "What are you? What are you didn't tell me before? I want to help you." And it became something that you know that from text messages, like every time any any of us were off, and we happened to be off at the same time. It wasn't an excuse to hang out. It wasn't, you know, every time there was a free time, it's always about us getting together. And one thing led to another one. The thing I know, uh, we were hanging out every weekend, every day off, every evening. Um, And then by July, we're living together, and we became partners officially, and uh, here we are. That's great. That's great. Um, I'm very pleased to hear that. Now, you were just talking about having spent 34 days in custody. Where, Where were you held? So I was um, for one day I was held right here in Portland in the ICE detention center, and uh, they decided to transfer me to what they call the Northwest Detention Center, which is in Tacoma, Washington, right next to Seattle. Um, it is a private um, jail or private institution owned by jail company, and that's why they held everybody who's going through immigration uh, uh, deportation or immigration uh, problems. Okay. And what's your what's your current status? Like are you on bond, bail? What's your current status right now? Yeah. So right now I was released from the from um the Northwest Extension Center with bond. Uh was granted to me on December twentieth. Um so now the next step is uh to have a deportation hearing which my attorneys are putting together a case uh for my defense. Uh in the meantime I'm just this is just a waiting game. Um I get back to work you know, I just get to get back to work, I get to get back to my life and I get to fight this next to Sean instead of Shine finding it for me because that's what he was doing when I was detained. You know, I didn't have any control of the situation and Sean had to control everything. So now we can be a better team, turns him out. Definitely. Sean, you have been um, uh, granting several interviews in the media, and you've been pretty outspoken about this case. I'm, I'm looking at your GoFundMe page right now. So you had, looks like, set a goal of 40000 You're currently at 10910 What type of response from people, like messages and feedback, have you gotten through your GoFundMe? 
Uh, through the GoFundMe page, a lot of those people are my friends and uh, members of the church. When Basic Rights Oregon, uh, a friend of mine works for them and said, hey, this is something that we do and we need to get the word out for you. So I met with them. Uh, they posted on their page. They pushed it out through Facebook and their uh, email list and uh, called KPTV. And uh, Simon Gutierrez came over to my apartment and did a great interview. Um, KGW picked up on that as well when it was released on Associated Press and Reuters. uh, And they did an interview with me over at work. Um, I was stunned by the compassion from both of those um, television stations. Uh, KGW ran it as uh, a headline story, which was a, a surprise to me. I really didn't didn't know it was going to be at that level. And that helped the GoFundMe page quite a bit. Um, it probably came close to doubling what was there to where it is now. Um, you know, media is very fleeting. So those, those donations have slowed to a crawl. Um, we're still going to need some more money to help out, but the, the, it, the interviews were compassionate and uh, uh, very straightforward. They were just, you know, looking to tell the story and have emotion behind it. Um, when Willamette Week ran the story, uh, like most of the printed press, they were a little more interested in facts than emotion. Um, so the story in Willamette Week is quite factual. They've got dates they went through, police reports and things like that to make sure that they were uh, reporting the story as accurately as possible. And one thing that I want to ask you about, and again, I I keep my interviews positive, but I do want to keep it real Mm -hmm. as well. So I'm sure that you've all Mm -hmm. seen on on all the news websites, whether that be Portland News or National News, (laughs) they they all allow for public comment. So I looked at Mm -hmm. some of the comments, and you guys have a lot of compassionate response, but there were some people that are like, well, you do the crime, you do the crime, you should be deported. So there were and, you know, I saw a lot of negative energy during the election, too. But how do you respond to some of those negative Nancys that are getting on to the news sites and commenting, saying that he should be deported? What would your response be to, to those people? So my response to those people, um, I, as I read through a lot of those comments, I mean, your opinion may be, uh, look, you did the crime, you need to go. But that's a very black and white type of thinking. Um this is not a black and white situation. So uh, for most people who read through the story, um, they had responded for me. Uh, I had one, one uh, thread on my own personal Facebook page where I just sat back and watched it unfold and watched my friends um, uh, just come back at them with compassion and logic. Um, in my opinion, when someone is posting something like that or making those kinds of comments, um, they are exposing their own um, uh, lack of judgment. They're making the fool out of themselves, and I don't need to come back at them with any kind of hostility. Uh, The best way to respond to that is to simply show the other intelligent people of the world that are reading the same thing that you're one of them and not uh, one of the negative people. 
Definitely. Now, um, and I want to ask you both this question. Uh, how much time did you spend visiting Louise at this detention center, Tacoma? So I was able to go up uh, one day a week, and just that's basically all my schedule would allow. Um, I stayed with a friend, the so I was able to visit the day before the hearing because the hearing was very early in the morning. A lot of people had left Portland at 4 a.m. in order to be there on time. Um, but they only allow uh, 45 to 55 minutes per visit per day. So then that's all the time I got to spend um, actually seeing him through glass. They, they allow telephone calls. Uh, that's a paid so um, it was a bit expensive, but they do allow phone calls. That's a 45-minute to 55-minute limit um, on each one of those. You can call back and redo that. They don't have a daily limit on it, it didn't seem like. Um, but the connection was terrible. So when I was got it? to see him in person, it was almost undiscernible. It was like talking through water or wow. um, just static. Yeah, it was, it was really rough, and it seems like um, – um, there's something that happens with the equipment over there that uh, is uh, just very distorting as far as the phone calls. We have to repeat uh, ourselves quite a bit. We would have to speak up and speak very clearly in order to get the point across. Uh, it got frustrating after a while. So the, the visit, which was on a uh, just an intercom through glass, uh, at least then I could hear him clearly. I could see him. Uh, okay. I still wasn't able to touch him 34 days. Luis, we've uh, spoken with several yeah. people in the LGBTQ community that have some very strong both views and concerns about treatment of LGBTQ by ICE and specifically in mm -hmm. detention centers. Um, was everything okay for you? Are there any civil rights issues or anything you need to let us know about? Well, um, I have to say probably no. When I got detained, my officer asked me when he realized I was gay. Um, when I got to the uh, Portland Detention Center, he told me, are you afraid of being attacked due to your sexual orientation? I said, yes. So he segregated me on, on the first day, and then he passed the message to the, to the next level. You know, When I was in the bus, when I got to Tacoma, they told me, oh, they told me you're afraid. We can put you what they call protective custody. Uh, it's up to you. You want to give it a try. So I said, well, let me give it a try because it's a tough time. I don't want to be isolated from everybody. Let's see what it comes out of it. And um, I give it a try. I mean, I have to, honestly, I have to. I went back to the closet. I have to tell everybody, you know, my partner, you know, said she, you know, when, you know, when I talked to her about Sean, and, you know, I have to say, you know, my wife, when I was married, she did this and this and that. So it was all about the need to pretend to be a straight person and keep in mind, you know, out of 120 inmates in my pod, you know, and I will say 90% of them, at least 110, they're all, you know, Hispanic. And definitely there was that concern that if they knew I was HIV, you know, sorry, if I was gay, that there was some kind of form of retaliation. So I tried right, to keep right. that very privately. So from the officers and from the inmates, I didn't have any problems, you know, everything went okay in that sense. I just, you know, make Good. sure to keep it privately. Good. And um, if I could give you the chance in your own words, will you kind of summarize for our listeners, like, what um, what was kind of the sequence of events when you ultimately did call the police on your ex-partner mm -hmm. and then 
recently you were trying to help resolve a drug and violent issue. Like, can you tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. how that all, how that all happened? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I was with this um, guy. His name is Ron. Ron Tony. Uh, we were together for seven years, and we were married for three years. Um, Ron um, have a you know. He and I, I mean, I'm going to sleep here now. We both had a, a I would say a, a, a habit. Yeah. We, we use, you know, drugs once in a while, you know, uh, as a form of relief, as a form of having a good time. Um, to make a long story short, Ron had a history of depression, which he decided to medicate himself with methamphetamine. Um, what I thought it was a thing that was over about March of last year, uh, 2015, um, it happens to be that he was hiding from me. He was, you know, doing it behind my back. You know, I work full time. I work up to 10-hour shift. So I was gone a lot. And that was a big opportunity for him to do it. When I finally he came, came clean um, around November last year, that created a lot of distrust and a lot of um, anxiety on my side. That anxiety provided me with... Uh, difficulty to keep going so I relapsed I had a problem myself which lasted probably a couple you know four to five weeks and then that's when I decided myself to put in to put myself in a program which I did so keep in mind that as I put myself in my program Ron's trying to be supportive but at the same time he feels insulted because he has this mentality why you think you're better than me you think you know I can leave this drug anytime I want to you know, I don't need you to put it on my face by going to a program, by going to meetings. So he feel kind of offended. So with that say, he started becoming a little more controlling. He will be in this and stuff like um, he will limit who comes to the, our house. And um, he will, even knowing that I'm in recovery, he will slip a bag with stuff for meth in my desk and say, oh, here you go for the week. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I'm clean and sober. I'm trying to stay away from it. So there was a lot of triggering and there was a lot of incidents like this until, so what happened finally on March 5th, I come home, he, we had an argument, which, you know, he was so high and he was so, you know, like uh, unreasonable to talk to. I decided to go stay in a hotel. He told me, well, get out of the house. I will make sure you, you know, give you some money so you can pay for a hotel until you find an apartment. And in order for me, you know, there were so many fights, you know, before that I was done. I just want to get some peace in my life. So I, I kind of went with it. When I come back the next day, he's on his way out. What it seems to be a run, uh, a drug run to get some more stuff. Um, I asked him, well, well, you told me you're going to give me this. You told me you're going to give me the money to survive for the next couple of weeks. And then he's like, no, I'm not giving you anything that was an excuse so I can get you out. Make sure you grab whatever you want to grab. And so, and get out of the house. So that, can, you know, that became a fight. That became a struggle. And pretty much for all this time, what I've been trying to do with Ron is, like, be the support that he needs, you know, make sure that I help him, make sure that I get the back or the, the, the shoulder that he needs to keep going. Um, but he didn't want it. He didn't want any of the help. He didn't want any of the support. So pretty much what happened that night, our fight was so big that pretty much what he came to me is, like, I love the drugs more than I love you. So I felt cheated. I felt oh, my God, you know, like, you're actually cheating on me. You're actually expressing that you little drugs are more important to you than myself. So that really pissed me off. That really made me really anger, angry. And um, I went upstairs 
grab, went to grab his drug out of the safe, broke into his safe, grabbed it, and I went to flush it. Uh, when I was so angry, I honestly I wanted to hurt him where he hurt the most, which is on his drugs. That's why he told me that he was he loved. Yeah. So I wanted right. to see. I wanted him to see me to, to flush. I wanted him to see me to throw it away as a way to get back for you know for being myself being hurt. Well, when I was going through that, when I finally opened the bathroom door and he came in and saw me trying to go to the toilet, he became defensive. He got in my face. I got scared. And in the process of getting scary, and he starts screaming in my face, trying to take the drugs away from me. I run. This is, you know, a run that only lasted five seconds from the bedroom all the way downstairs to the to the garage. That way he was able to grab me. He shoved me. He pushed me. He started beating me up. He started hitting me. Um, and he grabbed the drugs and went back inside. I'm I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I called the cops. Hey, my husband is beating me up. She, there's drugs in the house. I don't know what to do. So all this I did, what I did is just I'm trying to, I need help. Help me out, you know. I tried for the last year, I've been trying to help him to get into a program. I obviously, I'm done. I don't know what else but to do to help him. So the cops came in. You know, they, they, they saw me, you know, they asked me a couple of questions. They say I was shivering, but said, well, I just got beat up. What do you, well, how do you expect me to react, you know? Um, so they took pictures. I have bruises on my elbows. I have bruises on my back. Um, and I allowed them to search the house. I said, go ahead. I, please, I need help. You know, if you just go without doing nothing, I'm not know if I'm going to survive this. I'm not, you know, I always telling people when telling the story, if Ron happens to have a gun in the house, I would have been dead right now. He would have just killed me. And, that, and this was what um, you really wanted the police to do. You want, you wanted their help. That was the whole – this was a cry for want, help. I, yeah. The whole point – yeah, the whole point is a cry out for help. But, hey, you know, I'm out of ideas. I'm trying to help him. I mean, you know, this is not the first time I throw away the drugs. This is not the first time that we have an argument. This is probably the second or the third time that he becomes physical, and I'm done. I'm just – I don't know what else to do. Um, so keep if he mind, you know, away, then that will separate him and the drugs, right? Do you have any regrets about calling the police, yeah. either one of you? Because now that you see that they ultimately charged you with a crime and it's created a possible immigration nightmare, do you, if you look back at it in hindsight, do you think you might have done it any different way if you had known that it might have created the situation for yourself? Or, or do, you, um, do you still stick by that decision to call the cops? It is hard. It is hard to say. You know, I always tell myself, you know, decisions or uh, decision has consequences, either positive or negative. As a human beings, we have the uh, facility, we have the, the skill to rationale and kind of think a little bit what it could be the outcome of our decisions. This was a moment of stress. This was a moment I have no idea what to do. Um, keep in mind, I'm only here on my own with my husband. I don't have any family to call. I don't have any, at the moment, I didn't have any close friends. Or I was in so, so, such a big shock that you don't know what else, what, you don't know what to do. And you do what you think is the best at the moment, um, and that's what I did. I think if I, if I have to do it all over again, I'll do it. Um, it's this is just that taught me to grow. This is just taught me, you know, to to do things right from now on. Um, it's you know, it's it's just I don't do anything with regretting. This is not going to change the outcomes or anything. Right. So right. The, I need to work with what I have. I need to work with what I have. This is the present. This is what I have. I need to just you know work with it. Um, probably I should handle it a different way, but when you are stressed, when you have a loved one who is, 
destroying himself when he's interested in such a big disease as, as that is addiction. And, and keep in mind, you know, I'm a caregiver myself. I care for people. And how can I look at myself in the mirror caring for other people? And when I come home, I forget about my own husband. So I stick with him, you know, on the good and the bad, and the rich and the poor, like, you know, like our oats were. And that what I was trying to do that night is to say, hey, dude, you know, I, I tried my best. He told me not to reach his family because if I ever told his family about his addiction, he was he's gonna make sure that you know my license get taken away. He make sure I get deported. He would say he made he made sure to me that I understood that he's gonna make my life miserable if I ever disclose his addiction to any of his family. So right. I have nowhere to go. So I I just see what I did, what I could do. I just call the cops. You know, hey, help me out here. You know. Well, if it's if it's any consolation, and I've I've spoken about this for the last year on air, um, both in my marriage and in other relationships that I had, I've been a victim of domestic violence, and I was almost mm-hmm. murdered. I was almost murdered by a partner in 2003, and I had a very unpleasant encounter with the Portland police that I called for help after I was almost murdered. So. I completely empathize, and I can tell you that I don't think there is necessarily a right or wrong decision, even if that comes down to having someone arrested, because the relationship is imperfect when you're at that point where you're having to make that phone call. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to use the last few minutes to kind of wrap up as far as where you both might go from here. Sean, I'm coming over to you. Um, I just want to give you a lot of kudos and uh, commend you for your commitment to your partner, Luis, by the way. Yeah, I've seen seen your interviews and your GoFundMe. I think that you're doing a phenomenal job. What do you you think his chances are, and are you prepared to handle it either way the deportation case goes? Well, I don't want to be deported. And as I've made that statement, what I mean is I'm not going to leave Luis no matter what the decision is by the immigration court. Um, if he is deemed not uh, able to stay here in the United States, then I need to leave so that I can be with him as well. Uh, wow. Venezuela will be a death sentence. So there's Venezuela is not going to be an option. Uh, he will get sent to, to Venezuela. Um, I can't go there. The best I would be able to do is to try to get him out of there. And if I can't, um, I'm going to lose the man that I love. So um, I am hoping and praying that um, the immigration court can see that he deserves to be here. Uh, When you marry an immigrant, you sign an affidavit of support and abuse is uh, grounds to Uh, extend a visa, and hopefully they'll be able to do that for us. Um, There's also a political asylum because of the conditions in Venezuela at the moment. Um, There are people in the streets starving. There are people in hospitals dying. There's no medicine. Uh, There's nothing for sale. I've seen videos from his family of uh, people with laundry baskets full of money because it doesn't make any difference. There's nothing to buy. Um, So... And then the outlook on someone who's gay, that's why he had to leave in the first place. Um, and so just the fact that he's gay would be an issue. Uh, HIV and no medication would be an issue. And then the stigmatism of the fact that he has come to America and learned and lived in America will make him a target. 
his his accent, although the, he has one in English, he no longer has one uh, a, a proper accent for uh, Venezuelan Spanish. So that all of that is painting a target on his back, and I will do absolutely everything to try to keep him here. Um, I think the hardest part is over because having him gone from me was uh, emotional to me. It impacted my life, my customers' lives, my friends' lives. And so um, that was difficult. And now that I have him so that we can fight this side by side instead of me having to try to lead his life for him um, is going to make us a stronger team. We've got a good lawyer. Um, His name is David Chamlu. He's not uh, inexpensive. And the witnesses and the court fees and the hearings that will drag out around this are going to cost a lot of money. So the money is probably the thing that scares me the most. Um, I'm really hoping that the case is solid. Uh, I hope that the immigration court can look at the fact that he put himself through eight years of school here in the United States, that he's paid taxes since he got here. He's been working. He hasn't been... Um, uh, sucking off the system or other Americans. He is yes. one of the most diligent, hardest-working people that I've met. So I really I hope it turns out well. Thank you, yeah, Sean. And Brando, just keep, go ahead, um, Brando, just keep in mind something too here. Venezuela it has a culture that is no gay open. Actually, if you try to, if you get in trouble for being a gay man in Venezuela, you call the cops. The cops are the ones that are going to torture you. They're the ones that are going to, you know, make your life miserable. They're going to laugh at your face. They're probably going to rape you because they have the mentality of like, you know, I'm a man. I'm, you know, I pen- you suck me and I penetrate you, but I'm not gay. You know, it's like right, all right. this macho mentality that it's you can dangerous. get away with. It's, it. it's very dangerous. It sounds like. Yeah. So that in the. That you know, no, 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 none of the gay you know bashments or anything kills or anything like get reported because they know it doesn't get anywhere. The justice is very blindfolded; they don't really care. If you're gay, they don't care. Picture the United States before Stonewall. Right. Um, well, this is such a difficult case, and I sincerely wish you both the best, Luis. Um, do you think your chances you. are pretty good? What do you What do you think your chances are for beating the deportation? Are they good? I, I think I have a good case. I think I feel very confident that, you know, I believe in the system. I believe that the judge will do the right thing. Uh, I just need to prove who I am. I need to prove that I just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, I know. And then I, I, I already went through the system, you know, through to the drug charges and I got convicted. And in any moment I tried to evade them, you know, I confronted my, you know, my, who was you know, persecuting me and, you know, took, took, care, took care of it. In any moment, I hide, I hit from it. So right now, I'm doing the same thing, and I feel confident. I have a really good support group, and I believe that everything's going to come out my way. You know, so far, I've been very blessed um, every day, and I don't think that's going to stop. So I, that's why okay. I thanks to the support and the group that everybody has support that's has shown so far has been amazing because without them, I don't think we would have got this far. So, you know, but don't. Don't think you know that the fight is over. This is just the first step of a long battle. I understand. Well, uh, we're we're out of them, gentlemen. So we're going to leave it there. Their okay. GoFundMe page is GoFundMe.com/slash/SaveLuis. Thank you very much, Sean Sexton, Luis Garcia. Sincere best of luck to you, gentlemen. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much, Brandon.
Shout out to Benson Chrysler. 